willkommen in Berlin. Hello and welcome to Berlin, to City Breaks Berlin, episode 12, in fact. I'm Marion Jones. The title for this episode, in German, is Musik und Theater, Music and Theatre, if you prefer it, in English. Two things for which Berlin has been very famous over the centuries. And this is going to be very much an episode in two halves, one on music, little snippets of history and lots of information about where in Berlin today you can hear all different types of music and where to find out more, and then a repeat second half on the theatre. Also dann, los geht's. Right, let's go. Vienna and Leipzig are perhaps the two most famous musical centres in the German-speaking world, but Berlin, especially today, is also world-renowned for the quality of its music. Think of its orchestras. The very oldest one, the Berliner Staatskapelle, founded in, wait for it, 1570, and taken on by Frederick the Great as his very own royal court orchestra. Then there's the Berlin Philharmonic, and lots of other well-known orchestras, as I'll come to in a minute. Frederick the Great had great musical connections in the city. He loved music, played himself. I think I mentioned in one of the art episodes that there's a painting of him doing exactly that. Frederick the Great playing the flute at Sanssouci, it's called. And the gallery explanation tells us that, in fact, there were musical concerts most nights in the dedicated music room at the Palace of Sanssouci in Potsdam. In 1747, Bach himself visited Frederick the Great. And they played a little musical game. So Frederick played a tune for Bach and said, improvise something on that. And the resulting piece, a three-part fugue, was presented to the king under the title of A Musical Offering. Frederick composed himself. Four of his symphonies survived to this day, and he wrote lots of flute sonatas too. And, of course, it was Frederick who had the great opera house built, the one that's on Unter den Linden still today where up to a thousand carriages would line up of an evening, waiting to collect the opera-goers. There are lots of musical connections from the 20th century too, 1920s particularly, all that cabaret and jazz, Josephine Baker at the Theater des Vestens in her banana skirt. We think of her as more to do with Paris, but she had a huge following in Berlin too. Then a new experiment in 1928, the very first attempt at a play with music. A musical, if you will, Brecht's Dry Groschen Oper, the Thrupney Opera, a blistering attack on capitalism, a play which included the song Mac the Knife, and a play which was so popular that within a week 50 other German theatres had booked to show it. In the 1930s, under the Nazis, the emphasis was very much back onto pure German music. In fact, I read that in one year, 1935, there were 175 concerts in Berlin with the numbers as follows and if you add them up you'll work out that actually every single one of them was by a German composer. 85 by Beethoven, 45 Brahms, 28 Bach and 16 Handel. But during World War II there was one particular song which became popular all over Europe and that was German, Lily Marlene. The text came first, a poem which had been written by a soldier during the First World War, in fact, remembering his homeland and the girl he'd left behind and longing to get back to both. And then in 1938, it was set to music and played on the German troops' radio. Then after that, on Radio Belgrade, where soldiers all over Europe heard it, loved it, and kept writing in to have it played again. 
Here's something written by a soldier serving in the desert. We would tune our wireless sets in the evening to Radio Belgrade, and night after night, always at the same time, would come throbbing lingeringly over the ether, the cheap, sugary and almost painfully nostalgic melody, the sex-laden, intimate, heart-rending accents of Lily Marlene. And then made even more famous by being sung by Marlene Dietrich, who had fled from Germany to the US and then did morale-boosting tours all over the battlegrounds. She sang it frequently after the war too, and used to introduce it as one of her favourite songs. I sang it, she would say, for three long years, all through Africa, Sicily, Italy, to Alaska, Greenland, Iceland, to England, through France and Belgium, to Germany and to Czechoslovakia. The soldiers loved it. I thought it would be nice to enjoy just the first few lines. Vor der Kaserne, vor dem großen Tor, by the barracks just in front of the big gate, Stand eine Laterne und steht sie noch davor. There stood a lamppost, and it's still there. So wollen wir uns da wiedersehen. That's where we're going to meet again. Bei der Laterne wollen wir stehen. We want to stand under the lamppost, wie einst Lily Marlene, as once did Lily Marlene. So, just a few little snippets putting German music into the context of history. What about concert halls in the city? There's something I'm going to say several times during this episode, and that is go and consult the Visit Berlin website, www.visitberlin.de, because they have all kinds of useful sections, one of which is entitled Concert Halls. To quote some of the opening lines on the webpage, they talk about top-tier pop acts and how you can see those at the Mercedes-Benz Arena. They mention Berlin's two big outdoor venues, the Waldbühne, which is down by the Olympic Stadium, and the Citadella in Spandau. Tells you where you can see jazz or indie music, with links to all the relevant concert halls so you can check what's on now or when you'll be in Berlin. I'm going to focus, however, on the two big classical venues to start with, the Konzerthaus and the Berlin Philharmonic's home venue in the Kulturforum. The older of the two is the Konzerthaus, built by Frederick the Great in the Gendarmenmarkt, and home to a good handful of very important little moments in musical history. In 1789, for example, there was a visit from one Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, who came to see a performance of one of his operas. Paganini and Franz Liszt gave guest performances here, Richard Wagner conducted his Flying Dutchman opera here, and it was really one of the venues in Berlin all through the 19th century. Bombed very badly during World War II, rebuilt in the original style, and reopened in 1984 as the Concert House. I think before that it had a royal something or other in the title. And since then too, some iconic moments. For example, 1989, when Leonard Bernstein conducted an international orchestra and chorus in a performance of Beethoven's Ninth, in celebration at the fall of the wall and the reunification of Germany. That included, of course, a performance of Andy Freude, Ode to Joy, but for this occasion, the wording was slightly changed and became Andy Freiheit, Ode to Freedom. And if you look up their website at the Concert House today, you can see a full programme of orchestra and chamber music, piano concerts, quartets. There was a Mozart matinee on the current schedule, which I've just consulted. 
If you want to hear a proper German concert of classical music in Berlin, and who wouldn't, then definitely have a look at what the Konzerthaus has to offer. And equally famous and equally wonderful, the Berlin Philharmonic, whose home is in the Kulturforum, built after the reunification of the city, a hall which is renowned for its unusual design. Unlike traditional concert halls, it says on their website, the orchestra at the Philharmonie sits in the middle of the space, surrounded by the audience. There are even seats behind the orchestra, where you can see the conductor's face. The rows of seats are arranged in terraces, and thanks to the folding walls and tent-like ceiling, each of the 2,440 seats gets a perfect sonic experience. There's a long list of extremely famous conductors who have conducted the Berlin Philharmonic, which of course existed long before its current venue, Wilhelm Furtwängler, Herbert von Karajan, and, more recently, Sir Simon Rattle. It's an unusual orchestra in that the 128 members appoint their chief conductor by secret vote. And another of their traditions is the celebration of the end of the season with a concert not in their home venue, but outdoors on the Waldbühne. Wald means forest, so it's an outdoor venue, and again, tradition has it that the very last piece they play is called Das ist die Berliner Luft. That's Berlin Air. A moment for the audience to let off steam and celebrate. I think it's probably Germany's last night of the proms moment. Again, if you consult their website, and I'll put the link at the end of the show notes, you'll find a very wide programme, including, in fact, when the orchestra is playing at home in Berlin on Tuesdays at lunchtime at one o'clock, a free concert, often by up-and-coming young professional musicians. So there's an idea to build into your itinerary. And then, still on the subject of concert halls, I did want to quickly mention the Berliner Residenzkonzerte at the Charlottenburg Palace, where you can see 17th and 18th century music all done in costumes, just, in fact, as Prussian royalty used to enjoy in that very venue. You can have dinner there too, if you wish, and here, just to set the scene, is a little bit of the description from the website. All is quiet. All you can hear is the faint shuffling of the scores. All eyes are turned towards the gentleman in the light blue suit and pink velvet waistcoat. He nods momentarily, without any expression on his white powdered face. He puts the violin in position on his fine cravat, and the sounds of Mozart begin to fill the room. I think it's often Mozart, but not always. There are Bach evenings and Handel evenings too. OK, so those are the concert halls, or the main ones anyway. What about opera, another massive thing in Berlin? And I'm going to make a quick mention of four venues. The first one, the Deutsche Oper in Charlottenburg. That's the largest, 1,850 seats, specialising in 19th century classics. Think Strauss, Wagner, Verdi, etc. I looked up the current programme. There was Rigoletto, there was Carmen, and something more unusual, an opera called Negar, for which the description reads as follows. Two women meet and fall in love. Not such an extraordinary event, you might suppose, except that this is happening in Tehran, where society is pitted with contradictions. I am recording this, in fact, just as unrest in Tehran is coming to a head amongst the students particularly there, and young people more generally. And I'm struck by how absolutely contemporary this sounds. Here's a little more from the description. Female students, who make up a huge share of university undergraduates, are subject to laws that penalise women for not wearing a headscarf in public. 
alcohol consumption is strictly prohibited, yet an active nightlife has developed behind closed doors across the Iranian capital. So yes, lots of classics at the Deutsche Oper in Charlottenburg, but not only classics by any means. Moving on then to perhaps the best-known opera house in the city, the Staatsoper on Unter den Linden, the one built in the 18th century by Frederick the Great, where again you will find all the classics you could expect. On just the first page of their website entry, I saw mention of Wagner's Rheingold and Siegfried and Die Walküre. There was also The Barber of Seville, there was Il Trovatere, there was Tosca, and pages more followed. And just to add some flavour, here's a little extract from the description of their performance of Rheingold. The opera depicts a world of gods and giants and dwarfs. And, quote, although the Rheingold bears the features of a fantasy story, much more develops from the events. A true world drama of immense proportions and universal significance that remains highly relevant in the present day. Wagner's major family saga becomes an all-encompassing epic about power and love, war and peace, and the beneficial and disastrous effects of passions. Thirdly, there's the Kormische Oper, which translates as comedy opera, which opened in the 1890s as a variety theatre, performing operettas full of comedy and crowd-pleasing song and dance, and which reopened after World War II as the Opera House in East Berlin. So, on the programme today, then, you get forgotten operettas from the past and new work, all with the underlying idea of trying to make opera accessible to everyone. So, in their current programme, there was a performance of Falstaff by Verdi, alongside something called Intoleranza 1960, a musical about the power of protest. They do reinterpretations too. There was a recent one of the Magic Flute, for example, which used animated light projections to create Mozart's world of fairy tale magic. And for the truly modern, there's also the Neuköllner Oper, founded in 1977, which specialises in reinterpretations of Baroque opera and musicals, but also in current experimental musical theatre. At the moment, for example, they're showing something called New Songs from Earth, a reworking of Mahler songs with an environmental theme for today. So, with all that to choose from, whatever your musical interests, you really must be able to find lots of things that you'll enjoy. Let's move on then to theatre for the second half of the podcast. And when you look at the history of theatre in Berlin, there is one name which does keep coming up, and that is Bertolt Brecht. Poet, playwright, a man whose works were often on very political themes, and who revolutionised drama with some of his stage techniques. If you want to know about the man himself, you can visit his house, the Brecht Weigel Museum. Helena Weigel was his wife, where you can see his study and his library and whatnot, all exactly as he left it. He was largely Berlin-based, began writing plays with political themes shortly after World War I. In the 1930s, he went into exile in Scandinavia first and then to the US. And he was one of the many, many authors whose books were burned by the Nazis. Perhaps his best-known play from this period is called Mutter Courage und ihre Kinder, Mother Courage and Her Children. Very much an anti-war play about a woman who tries to exploit a war for financial gain and ends up losing all three of her children. Then there's a play called The Resistible Rise of Arturo Ui, which is a parable 
It's set in Chicago in the gangster era. The themes are all about power and gangs and who has the say. And, of course, it's all about Hitler's rise to power. Brecht came back to Berlin after the war, formed his own company, the Berliner Ensemble, and stayed then in the city until he died in 1956. I think it's fair to say that he was very controversial. All over Eastern Europe he was suspected because of his avant-garde ideas about theatre, and pretty much all over the West he was boycotted by many people because of his very left-wing views, communist opinions. But most of all his influence lives on, I think, in the effect he had on theatre itself, particularly his technique that's known as the alienation effect, Verfremdungseffekt in German, the idea that the aim is not really to make the audience believe in the characters, but rather to be distanced from them, watch them critically and think about what they're seeing. Any drama student today, I think, will tell you that they've studied Brecht and his effect on theatre. So then, where to go if you want to see some theatre in Berlin? Clearly this is a bit less accessible if you don't speak German, but nevertheless there are ways round these things. So I wanted to have a look at several of the big theatre venues in Berlin today. Again, the visitberlin.de website is a treasure. Its section on Berlin theatre contains the wording, Where to go in Berlin for theatre? There are around 150 theatres and other stages which raise the curtain every night in Berlin. Who knew? You can see everything from classic drama to new plays, musicals, comedies... And, it says, don't worry if you don't speak German, as many Berlin theatres have selected performances featuring English surtitles. And also, the English Theatre Berlin stages excellent English-language dramas at their own theatre in Berlin's Kreuzberg district. So I've picked out five well-known theatres to just mention briefly. There's the Deutsches Theater, built in 1850, which, yes, shows lots of traditional classics, Chekhov, Sartre, Ibsen, Goethe, etc., but also has, quote, a sustained commitment to contemporary theatre. I looked up the current programme. There was Molière, there was Oedipus, there was a German version of Shakespeare's The Tempest, and there was a comedy about social media called Vacuum, or in English, Vacuum. The Schaubühne was founded in the 1960s, dedicated to political theatre, social activism. So today they show, as they say on the website, cutting-edge theatre and new interpretations of classic plays. But if they do a classic play, they do, they say, quote, never lose sight of present-day social realities and are always looking for interesting ways of integrating these concerns into productions. So, currently showing, for example, a play called Dr. Bernardi by Arthur Schnitzler, Build as a comedy in five acts, but actually a play exploring anti-Semitism and Austrian-Jewish identity, written in 1912. There's another play based on a 16th century story, which is billed as a tale of injustice at the hands of authority and the chaotic consequences of revenge. So the story revolves around a man taking his horses to market one day, who's asked to pay a tax on the way in, he can't, so they keep his horses as security, and when he comes back to collect them, he finds they've been mistreated. So he wants compensation, and the story revolves around the lengths that he will go to when he's denied what he sees as his right. So a story that's over 400 years old, but treated to highlight themes which are 
also very contemporary. Then there's the Berliner Ensemble, which was established in East Berlin in 1949, Bertolt Brecht's theatre, still going today, lots of classics, Goethe and such like, a good sprinkling of Brecht's own plays. When I looked, I saw that they had a version of Kafka's The Trial and a couple of German-language productions of such well-known plays as Shakespeare's Twelfth Night and Beckett's Waiting for Godot. Then there's the very well-known Theater des Festens, Down Off the Kudam, a theatre which first opened its doors in 1896, which did a roaring trade in the 1920s on opera and operetta, kept going under the Nazis, who renamed it the Volksoper, or People's Opera, but then badly damaged during air raids and not reopened until 1961, when it immediately started revitalising its tradition of focusing on musicals. And this is the place to check out if you want to see musical classics like Chicago or Mamma Mia or Dance of the Vampires. And lastly, another old venue, the Friedrichstadt Palast, in a building which was originally a market hall in the 1860s and which in 1873 was reworked as a circus venue where several thousand people could come and be entertained. After World War I, it was renamed as the Große Schauspielhaus or Big Theatre, very popular all through the 1920s, but closed down by the Nazis, and reopened then after World War II, when it found itself in East Berlin, so behind the wall. It was renamed the Friedrichstadt Palast, and became a venue where big, big stars would play. Ella Fitzgerald sang there, for example. Louis Armstrong played there. It was closed down in 1980 so that a new version could be built, and then not long after that, post the wall coming down in 1989, it of course could attract wider audiences and began a new phase as a place where top stage shows could be enjoyed. And today its reputation is very much for glamorous costumes, breathtaking stage settings, amazing dance routines, great music. The Friedrichstadt Palast, says their website, is the European location closest to the glitz of Las Vegas. It is in fact the largest show palace in Europe, having an auditorium which seats very nearly 1,900 people, who go along to enjoy the stunning dance routines with perhaps up to 60 dancers taking part, long lines of showgirls. Not any old showgirls though, the iconic Palast showgirls, who specialise in precision dance routines. So yes, a heavy emphasis on dance, but certainly not only dance. In the team of sometimes over 100 performers on stage, there will be musicians and acrobats too, and cutting-edge technology used to create amazing scenes. If you want an ice rink on stage, or a circus ring, or the largest laser show in Europe, then the Friedrichstadtpalast is the place for you. So that too then, a venue where you could certainly go and have an enjoyable evening if you don't speak any German at all. And just to repeat one final time, for all of this information in a lot more detail and very current, do consult the visitberlin.de website, with its separate sections on theatre, on opera, on concert halls. You can get much more detail on all of those aspects. There are links from there through to all the venues which are mentioned, many of which operate in English as well as in German, and many of which are also the place to buy tickets if you want to plan ahead and make sure that you're not going to miss what you really want to see. So then, that's it for music and theatre in Berlin. 
I hope I've encouraged you to know where to find out more if you want to incorporate either or both of those things into your visit. Something I would absolutely recommend, I try and see a performance of something on every city break I ever do. And if the language is going to defeat me, then I certainly will look for operas, musical performances, free concerts in local churches. There are usually many different ways to get under the musical or theatrical skin of the city that you're visiting. And nowhere is that more true than in Berlin. That's it for today then. In the next episode, I'm going to look at that other art form for which Berlin is very well known, namely Kino, the cinema. Again, a few snippets from history and lots of ideas about where to find out more about German film and German cinema going. Then we will be approaching the end of the Berlin series. I've got several episodes further planned to take us a little outside of the city, starting with the Palace of Charlottenburg, which is on the fringes, and then venturing out a little further to the lakes outside the city of Berlin and to nearby Potsdam, which is definitely a city break in its own right, really, but also an excellent day-out venue from Berlin, as long as you're not hoping to see everything it has to offer. Anyway, lots more on those things to come, and for the moment, just thank you very much, as always, for listening, or in German, vielen Dank fürs Zuhören, and until next time, goodbye. Bis zum nächsten Mal, auf Wiederhören. Musik